0: Welcome back to Eric Likes Animals. I'm Eric Mahan. Thank you guys so much for listening. Well, I can't believe it's already here. This is my 25th episode. Man, the time has sure flown away. Anyway, I got a great show for you guys today from what Italy found in their rivers to food getting a eco grade and pandas in Europe and of course our featured species. So let's get started with some environment news. Europe, just like the United States, and honestly most of the world right now, is dealing with a strong heat wave and drought-like conditions. In the United States, news stories of bodies, cars, and many other random objects being found in lakes and rivers that have never been as low as they currently are are popping up all over the news. However, I'm pretty sure Italy would be just so happy if all they found was a car or random other objects such as that, because what they found in Italy's River Po, with record level heat and lack of rain, the river has dropped significantly and probably hasn't been this low ever, or at least not since World War II, because you know what? They discovered an unexploded 1,000 pound or 453.6 kilogram World War II bomb. A fisherman discovered this when he was out walking along the river and immediately contacted the government. So they cleared everyone out of the nearby town, stopped water and air traffic in the area to be on the safe side, and disarmed the bomb. And then they took it to a quarry to destroy it. Some scientists are starting to suggest that soon we should not be surprised if we start seeing food with eco-grades on them a system that when people go to the store or the market to buy food, instead of just the health facts that you normally find on the packaging, there will be earth health ratings. This is something that many food manufacturers actually want since they've been trying to start a eco-friendly net zero policy in their own companies, but don't have the resources to truly understand the impact of their ingredients Also, a lot of restaurant owners want to be more eco-friendly, as well as, well, a lot of other people. And that's why scientists want to do it. That way, they can make the average consumer feel empowered to make the right decision, and of course, the manufacturers, and of course, the restaurant owners. Lastly, you probably all know this already, but for those that don't, the great panda debate is at it again. Recently, it was published that these two fossilized teeth found in a lump of coal in Bulgaria are indeed from a newly identified extinct panda species that may have been the ancestor of today's modern pandas. This sparks obvious vast debates on where pandas then originated from, with three sides butting against each other in this argument. You have on one side scientists that refuse to believe pandas didn't come from China. Other scientists believe that this proves that they migrated to China. And lastly, ones that say it's too early to really tell who started where and who migrated where to where. Obviously, this is a sore subject for China, especially since the panda is a very important symbol in Chinese culture. But these teeth are just one of many things to show that pandas at one time did live in Europe. And yes, we all know that there have been many bears living in Europe, but pandas, even though classified as bears, currently broke away from other bears about 19 million years ago. So a bit different than quite the normal bear. As for European panda species, it was a smaller animal than today's pandas, had larger canines, already ate mostly plants, but obviously there wasn't bamboo in Europe, so they were just eating other types of plants. And it is theorized that they had white and black fur, but most likely not in the same pattern as we see modern day pandas at this point. And they did live in swampy areas. So no matter what side you are on. It's just cool finding out about this new species that did used to walk this earth and figuring out exactly where it ended up. And that is your environment news. So for today's species, we are going to be talking about a bird, but a very unique and very odd bird that has just some weird eating habits, let's just say. And I know you guys are going to fall in love with them as I have. And of course, I'm talking about the amazing bearded vulture. The bearded vulture, or also very commonly referred to as the Lambergeier, is found in the Alps in Europe, as well as other pockets of mountains in Africa, Middle East, and Asia. They prefer to stay in mountains or very open range areas. They can live about 21 years in the wild, but in captivity, some have lived up to 45 years. They're a fairly large bird with a height of about 3.7 feet or 1.15 meters. A wingspan to lift this giant bird, of course, is also very colossal at 8.9 feet or 2.7 meters, and they weigh about 12.6 pounds or 5.7 kilograms. So yeah, pretty big flighted bird. And you might be thinking, okay, it's a vulture. It has a bald head, right? Nope. Nope. That's one thing that makes this vulture species so unique. It actually has a full head of feathers and really cool looking feathers, I have to say. So I do suggest Googling it so you can see it because it is a gorgeous bird. But until then, I'll try and describe it for you. It has a reddish yellow or white plumage on the head and breast with um, normally about grayish tail and wing feathers, and adults have this black streak mark that actually goes down around their eyes, down to their beak, and some of the feathers actually hang down below its kind of beak area, right underneath its chin, and it sort of makes it look like it has a beard. Hence its name. So, real quick, vultures in general, the reason why for those bald head, is actually pretty important. It's so they don't have dirty feathers. Since most vulture species are scavengers and feed off dead animals, Sometimes, as you probably saw in nature documentaries, the dead animals may be very large. And for the vultures to actually get at the yummy pieces inside, they have to stick their entire head into the animal to get to the food. So if these vultures had head feathers on them, they would be gross, sticky, and extremely smelly. And they would never really be able to clean them, no matter how many times they tried, And this could cause a lot of health issues. So no feathers on the head means healthier, cleaner vultures. And actually, you can tell some vulture species on how old they possibly are because older vultures actually have less feathers on their head. And when they're younger and possibly mom and dad is still actually feeding them, well, They need a little extra feathers on their head because they live in colder climates. So it keeps them nice and warm until they get a little older and then they start to lose those feathers so that they can also enjoy some dead animals. So then why do bearded vultures not have bald heads? Does this mean that they are a hunter and kill small things like hawks and falcons do? Nope. They still go after dead things, just super dead things. Um... Things that no longer have any skin, meat, or yucky parts on it. And if you haven't figured it out yet, bearded vultures diet consists of almost entirely of bones. They have extremely strong stomach acid that can break down, no problem, any sort of bone. And bone marrow is actually highly nutritious, so they don't miss out on all their important nutrients. And bonus they really don't have any other competition except for other bearded vultures because no one else is eating those bones. That's not even the most interesting thing about this. The real cool thing is that most of these bones are fairly big and they are still a bird. They can't honk down a giant bone like a snake with a large prey item. Nope, they have to actually break the bone. And if you're wondering how they do that, they do it by picking up their bone, flying it high up in the air, and try to aim for the rocks on the slope below, and then they drop the bone from the air, try and smash it on a rock so it breaks into a bunch of pieces. That way it can eat it. And it might not break right away, so they need to grab that bone and do it all over again. Also, dropping the bone and getting it to hit the rock below perfectly, because it's no easy task, Many younger birds actually struggle with it until they become a professional bone rock smasher. Welcome to your first day of bone smashing school. After I get done with you, you will be dropping bones and hitting your mark every time. But this is no cakewalk. First rule here is you don't break your bone, you don't eat. And it's getting close to lunchtime, so let's see what you guys can do. Alright, step forward, grab your bones in front of you, ready? Set. Fly, 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 fly. Okay, cadets, we're getting close to the drop zone. On my mark, let go your bones and hit the target. And go. Drop, drop, drop. Okay, candidates, let's fly down and see what you got. Well, I never. What a sorry excuse of wheat wing, lazy amateur birds I ever did see. None of you even came close. Let's run it again. Uh, but sir, my wings are tired. Oh, is that so? Yes. Well, now your feet are going to hurt because you just pulled bone pickup duty. As for the rest of you, sorry excuses of a vulture back in the sky. Let's move out. It's actually a really cool thing to watch them drop the bones. And thankfully, YouTube has a ton of videos. So if you're done Googling what these guys look like, I also suggest YouTubing it to see how these guys drop those bones. Another unique fact about these vultures, by the way, is they dye their feathers. Yep, they are kind of punk rock birds, that's for sure, and they are not a natural redhead. Normally, bearded vultures are white, and unlike flamingos that colors will change due to their diet, the bearded vulture seems to purposefully dye their feathers to this reddish yellow color. They do this by bathing in soils and water that are rich in red iron. Why? Well... We're not really quite sure. They gave red soil in captivity for a couple lammergeiers or bearded vultures, and they went crazy for it. But there are two theories. One is it's cosmetic, that it shows that they are very strong because these iron deposits are not very common. So, the darker or redder you are, the stronger you are because you are fighting off and guarding your territory from other vultures, and you get to spend the most time, well, dyeing your feathers. The other theory, it helps get them clean and sterilizes them. The iron oxide found in these waters and pools may actually act like a bacteria killer, Especially since, even though a lot of time it's just bones left, they are still coming in contact with all kinds of bacteria and other diseases being scavengers. So, by dipping into these areas with iron oxide, it can then clean themselves and keep their nest and chicks safe from possible harmful pathogens. Now, there is nothing out there that apparently indicates that iron oxide would do this, but there's a couple people that oxide in other forms does. so. That's kind of the theory there. But the third one, maybe it's both. That, yes, it would help them keep clean, but also it shows that they have access to something to keep them clean. So, who knows? Except the bearded vulture. Now, the bearded vulture is monogamous, or paired for life, if that's an easier way to say it for you. Specifically, the European population pairs up in November and December and creates a nest up in the mountain, on a cliff normally, and lays their eggs in December and February. And yep, that's in the middle of winter in Europe on a mountain. But these guys are bone eaters, so that time of the year is actually great and normally full of food because in the middle of the winter, animals die off namely because they couldn't make it through it. So the bearded vulture has a paradise during the winter time, and this time is perfect for adults being able to feed each other when they're trying to sit on an egg. No problem. Now, they will lay about two eggs, but the second egg, which is laid, is a little later and is normally slightly smaller and is really just there as insurance because when the chick hatches after 54 days, you see, the first chick might not hatch. So they have the insurance of the second chick, which will then become the parent's main focal point. But if the first chick is healthy, then eventually, unfortunately, the first chick ends up killing the second one normally in the first week after hatching because there's not enough food for two chicks. Now, the timing is late winter at this point or early springtime for the chicks. And it's once again perfect for the parents because at this point, the chicks really can't have just bones their little bellies can't handle the adults where they can just eat straight bone but luckily there are tons of animals that have died due to winter or got stuck in an avalanche and all that snow melt reveals a natural fridge full of yummy dead things that have been hiding away in the snow and ice and all of this can actually help the chick grow till it can start handling bones alone which is also probably good because I feel like if parents were to actually feed a chick like other birds do, where they regurge some of their diet from before, I don't know if that really works with bones. I feel like someone's going to get a bone splinter in the eye or someone's going to have a bone stuck in the throat. So yeah, really not the best way to feed a bird with just bones. And of course, the chick grows fairly rapidly. In about 120 to 140 days, old the chick sets off on its own being able to grow up rapidly grow feathers become fledged learn how to fly and out the doors in a matter of time now they will become mature about five to seven years and normally will pair up and start breeding in about eight to nine years during this time they will have to look out for pretty much for the entire range golden eagles being one of their top predators or some other type of larger bird of prey might try and snack on them and then depending on the area they might have to look out for other predators. For example, in Europe, they might have to worry about wolves, but if they're in Africa or Asia, they would have a variety of other apex predators to probably worry about. Luckily for the bearded vulture, they spend most of their time high up in the mountains, so not too many apex predators are heading up there unless they're truly desperate. As for how they are doing population-wise, unfortunately, they are labeled as near-threatened with population decreasing. They used to be found almost on every mountain in Euroasia. Now, they are a rare sight to behold. Historically, the bearded vulture was eradicated from the Alps due to myths that they were believed to attack and kill livestock and carry away children so people in these regions killed them off. However, education and videos of them, well, only eating bones have definitely helped out with that problem. The more modern day concerns is, of course, global climate change, destruction of their habitat, lack of food because of destruction of the habitat, and still some people trying to hunt them because of these myths. But a big one is actually poison, where people would try and put out poison baits to kill off wolves, foxes, jackals, and crows, and any other sort of pest. You see, with already a lack of food and the only ones that are showing up being poisoned, it's a very tough life currently for the bearded vulture. And you may say, well, I thought you said they just ate bones. How can poison hurt them? Well, don't forget, the babies don't just eat bones. So these dead animals mom and dad picked up could be full of poison. And if no babies are all of a sudden surviving, well, soon the population crashes. Also, some very strong poisons can still be detected on bones depending on what was used to kill the animals. And dying is not the only problem these poisons can cause. There's all kinds of health concerns. A great example of this is in the United States, we almost killed off our national symbols, the bald eagle, as well as a relative, the golden eagle. And we almost did this with something called DDT. Now, DDT was used as a pesticide to wipe out mosquitoes and other pesky insects. And what it did was almost wipe out the eagles. And how this happened was DDT would be sprayed in crops and eventually end up in waterways, where it would get into aquatic plants and fish, which, of course, bald eagles love to eat. And then they would get the DDT inside of them. As for golden eagles and even still bald eagles, another way was it would be on the grasses, an insect would eat it, and then an insect would get eaten by a bird and then a snake. And then multiple other animals got exposed to this DDT and went through all of their systems and still then got eventually to the top predator in the area, the golden eagle. So yeah, it spread very rapidly. And no, it didn't kill the bird, but how it almost wiped out this species was it actually softened the eagle's eggs. Eagles were not being able to produce hard-shelled eggs. So when mom and dad would try and sit on the eggs, crack. So yeah, just remember that the poison does not just affect the animal you're trying to target. That's actually why most zoos and wildlife places are so careful not to use any sort of poison traps for mice at their facilities, even though, obviously, Um, with all those animals and of course all that animal food around mice love to try and be in zoos but I mean you can't you just can't do it because what would happen if a mouse eats some poison and then immediately runs into say the lion house and gets eaten by the lion and yes one mouse worth of poison might not harm the lion right away but if it keeps happening multiple times well That poison doesn't always leave the body right away and can build up very quickly and possibly cause major harm to the lion itself. So, what can we do? Well, there's a couple different options. Number one is look at the type of poison you're using, do your research, and also talk to professionals because there are some toxins out there that are used to say kill off mice or any other pesky critter that really isn't supposed to be there and is actually something that we need to definitely dial back their population already that only affects that animal or it doesn't do multi-species spread. Once it is there in the animal and it dies, the poison dissipates. Okay, Other systems are, of course, traps, whether it be live kill traps. Once again, depends on the situation. Obviously, with a fox, live trap. With a common mouse or an invasive mouse species, Kill traps are probably better because honestly, then you're just re-releasing a invasive mouse back out into the wild. Not really the best situation, but I understand it's icky and a lot of people don't want to deal with those either. Other options are there's all kinds of cool natural things. Now, there's actually a lot of natural sprays that kill insects or prevent insects from wanting to be in areas that have different types of oils. Or other natural products that actually have started really working. I will admit the first ones definitely did not. It just kind of smelled like peppermint or lavender, but a lot of the newer ones are getting much better and are much healthier, not just for other animals, but you yourself to be around. Other options, there's also this cool powder that you can put onto bait. Say you have a mouse getting into your house and you really don't know how it's getting in. So you put the little powder on the bait that you know the mouse will eat. Then you check it the next day if it looks like it gets eaten, wait till it's nice and dark, and then you turn on this black light, and that powder you put onto the food, which isn't toxic, then glows. So the mouse gets it all on the fur and on the feet, and you can actually then track to find out exactly how this mouse is getting in in and then you can plug the hole actually trying to fix it versus just putting a band-aid on the gushing wound kind of situation anyway and lastly the other big thing that they are working on besides using poisons is hormone manipulation now you might be saying well that doesn't sound too much different but what it is is instead of killing the animal it changes the hormones in a way that it would, say, prevent a female mouse from being able to reproduce, which they're saying is going to be the most humane and probably one of the most effective ways. And if we can look to these more natural and less dangerous products that wouldn't affect other animals and really just targets or convinces other animals not to get into certain areas well, you'll be much happier and you might even get to see a lot more of our good friend, the Bearded vulture. And that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can reach out to me for any reason on Facebook or Twitter. Links will be provided below in the episode description, as well as you can always reach me at EricLikesAnimals at gmail.com. Okay, episode 25, all done. Thanks again for listening, and remember, don't be a dick and use poison willy-nilly. You're hurting way more than just the animals you're trying to target. See ya!